Many of us learned the hard way that there wasn't going to be some instruction manual out there that would tell us how to survive the transition from service member to civilian. Sure, we took a few classes before we were sent out the door, but how prepared were we really? And civilians? Sometimes they just don't know what to make of us or know how to help. That's why each episode on CruiseCast strives to take listeners on a journey through the full spectrum of trauma and tribulations plaguing many veterans. Join us as we cover tough topics to combat the veteran suicide epidemic and end stigma surrounding the veteran community just by sharing real stories about how others have found their place again after their service ended. At Cruise Corner, we believe no topic is off limits and that every veteran's story can become a page in all of our survival guides. Welcome back, everyone, to the Cruise Corner Podcast. As always, this is Lonnie, and today I have Dustin from Liberty Bell Customs joining me. How are you doing today, Dustin? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Not too bad. It'd be nice if the sun would come back. It's been pretty dark here for (laughs) days. I'm in South Texas. I don't know what it's like when the sun goes away. Oh, yeah. Complete opposite. Kansas is kind of just like we're lost on the prairie, so (laughs) you just hope. Hope it's not a tornado. But uh, so you're a Navy veteran, which is nice because I've been having a ton of Army vets come on. And so it's nice to get a little bit of a break. And I think you're only my second Navy vet to come on here. Well, you'll get a little bit of Navy and a little bit of Marine with me. I spent uh, my last 12 years has been as a uh, corpsman. Uh, I've been a doc and all of my deployments were with Marines as docs. So they rub off on you after a little while. It's really hard to get that, uh, get that essence off of you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing in the service over the last decade plus? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like I said, most of my time has been with Marines. Uh, Did a lot of stuff from like Kazavac type uh, medical to working with the anti-terrorism security teams. Uh, Did a few deployments with them and uh, a lot of time just being the only uh, the only corpsman out and about with my guys, and I loved it. And just hanging out with them, the we were all really tight, so I enjoyed it. And my last couple of years here, I've actually been teaching um, trauma medicine and medical operations with uh, to all different services working in a joint environment. So I've gotten exposure to different branches besides the Marines, and it's been pretty interesting, but I'm in the process of transitioning out now. I got less than a few months left. And boy, let me tell you, trying what to do that. What a time. In the military. <laughs> what a time <laughs> yeah, to do it. As if getting out of the military isn't hard enough. Let's do it in a pandemic when no one's in their office ever. Like, like that's the worst possible scenario. Yeah, because usually when I bring people on here, I'm like, so what was transition like? But I guess, you know, I'll have to check back in with you sometime. because <laughs> <laughs> Living it real time. And I can tell you, it's already, uh, it's tough. It's not easy at all. And yeah, you I- see the difference in when you're, uh, one thing I've noticed immediately was the second that you start talking, even about getting out, you lose a lot of assistance from a lot of places. Like it's, everybody talks about transitioning being like, oh yeah, we're here to support you. In our reality, it's the minute you'd say, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. You, doors start closing. People stop being as willing to assist because to them, you're, you're not going to be a number for the retention guy that, that makes a difference. Like you're, you're that little dark mark on their retention board. 
and they know it's coming, you know it's coming, and it's it's a different environment when you once you put your stamp down, and then the even worse part is you have to sit there and justify it to like five hundred people why you want to get out. Yeah, you could have a great plan. They want to know every bit about it, and it's like when I was growing up, the three things that like you never tell people about or you don't really openly talk about or how many people you slept with, how much, how much money is in your bank account and what you're planning to do next. And yet here I am like sitting in front of 12 people at a conference table talking, like being forced to talk about what I'm going to do when I get out. What I, why do I want to get out? I think at that point, you know, I have wife and kids. I'm 30 plus years old. If I'd say like, this is what I want to do that's what I want to do. And let's move on with that. Yeah. I know. Like when I was getting out, I was, I did four years active. And when I said I wanted to leave, they're like, you're ruining your life. And it's just like, well, you know, I feel like I'm ruining my life here. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I kind of want to try something else. I went to 12 and I hit this point where I, I, things lined up and they looked like it, I would be more promising to be able to move forward on the outside. And they're like, oh, you're, you're so close to retirement. You're only eight years away. When you're not a fan of what you're doing anymore, eight years is a long ass time. Like yeah. it drags on. And I'm the type of guy that when I'm working with you know, people or I'm trying to lead someone, I want to give them the best person possible like working for them. I don't want them to have that, that salty dude that just doesn't want to be there anymore because that vibe, it comes off. Everybody knows the person that's dealing with that. You can point them out in a room the second you walk in. Yep. And I feel like anybody I was leading, especially, or anybody I was taking care of as a corpsman's perspective, I'd be doing them a disservice if I stuck around. So I, I knew it was just the time. It's time to move on. Liberty Bell has been a passion of mine. I've been working on it pretty hard. I don't know if I'm ready to go full time with it. Uh, my my workload would say that I am, but I don't know if it's there just yet. My wife sure certainly thinks it's not there yet. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to the change of uh, both scenery and direction. So, what exactly led you to Liberty Bell? What Put you in that direction so about two and a half years ago i ended up taking taking up the mantle as if i didn't have enough on my plate at the time and i told you know my office that hey i'm gonna make our you know our sergeant first class that was retiring i was like i'll make a shadow box i got this i had gone to school for carpentry in high school granted like i did the early 20s i'm gonna buy cars and make them super fast and look like fast and the furious when I was like 21 in the Navy and I could afford a car, <laughs> like I did that and I didn't touch woodwork at all, but I wanted to get back to it. So I picked up a couple tools and made the shadow box. It turned out really great. And then I got asked to make a few more things and I realized how much I was enjoying doing it, how rewarding it was that I was, I found my little Zen when I was doing it and it kind of took off from there. I started making some cool stuff and, People liked it, so I kept going. And one thing led to another, and now I'm, I decided to market it as an actual business, and it's, it's been really great. It's been a lot of fun. I've met some amazing people, 
got to, you know, had some probably the most rewarding moments of my life uh, working through some of the little, pro- little pet projects that I've had so far. And it's, it's been a great ride so far. So I'm going to keep it going as long as I can. That's good. Yeah. Ride that momentum while you can. I mean, if you can keep it up. Yeah. That ass. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, I was checking out some of the stuff you have, like the, uh, you do handmade patriotic artwork, the concealment decor, which I think is awesome. I was looking at the stowaway and if I had uh, another stimulus check, cause mine went away really quick. Uh, yeah, mine too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, the only thing that didn't shut down around here was home improvement store. So it's just like, oh, now it's time for projects. So it's like, okay, that, and then a gun. And it was just like, ah, okay, I'm broke. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I did that too. Um, and I can honestly say people just need to go back home because I don't like the crowd and Lowe's anymore. <laughs> too many people now have home improvement time. So it's harder for me to get wood, harder for me to like go to the store and shop. And I'm in San Antonio. So the rules are really, really tight on having to wear masks and everything like that in the stores drives me nuts because then I'm now wearing a mask and standing in a line that wasn't there like before this whole pandemic thing started it's annoying but I I still you know gotta do what it takes I, I enjoy it either way so I'll make it happen yeah for sure that's one thing like when this happened it was like oh it's the introvert dream like <laughs> when if you go out if you're willing to still go out there was nobody anywhere and then now everybody's kind of getting to that point where it's been long enough where they're like eh do I really need to stay home and so everybody's kind of like coming back out and things are starting to get crowded again and it's just like oh yeah like does that <laughs> I would I was essential personnel for a little while like it, and I was I got caught up in like the word of situation I had checked out of my unit I was 36 hours away from heading off for uh, my transition program. Uh, it's through like the whole TAP program. I was going to go intern for six months back in my home state and then try and get a job with uh, that organization. Well, the, tra- the DOD travel restrictions for domestic travel kicked in. So I got kept at my unit. They were like, yeah, I know you haven't started travel yet. You need to come back and now go back to work. I'm like, but I checked out like Friday, like we already did my going away presence and everything. Like we, I waved, you know, goodbye and left. And sure enough, I came back and we picked up a mission. So I went essential personnel, right? Like right away. So for the first like two weeks of this, I was working 16, 18 hour days. I went from checked out to 16 hour days, like with, with the snap of some fingers. And finally that died back down and, you know, they, we pushed the teleworking and social distancing here because uh, San Antonio is a is a bit of a hub, so it changed uh, things dramatically. Uh, I could even say like my wife has already made the trip to Pennsylvania, which is where we're settling down. I got a bigger house, and we have a big workshop attached to the house, so I'll be able to expand what I do. You know, doing cool stuff, bigger stuff, cutting you know faster, and I'm looking forward to that. But I just got to get there now. <laughs> yeah, that's the battle right there so when we talked about you coming on you mentioned a few things you got going on and one of them was the freedom rings flag builds and i saw you had some sawdust therapy stuff going on on the site so do you want to talk about that a little bit absolutely uh sawdust therapy is pretty much what it's not my term i didn't coin it but it's what i used to describe you know that therapy i found in like taking just bare wood and turn it into art 
and just the kind of solace and peace that a sander can just drown out a lot, a lot more than just, you know, noise around you. It can let you zone in or just being at the workbench with your headphones in when I'm not having to like watch my kids. It's great that I can put the headphones in and just go to work and make whatever picture I had in my mind, uh, make it happen. It's, it's really therapeutic. And especially when you see when it's done and when you do it for someone else, or even when you do it for yourself. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't made one for myself yet. I mean, I kept one cause it was cool, but it wasn't made for me. Uh, that's that one right there. It's got my ax on it. Oh, nice. But, <laughs> uh, it's, I found a lot of therapy in that. And I realized that I was getting something out of it and I wanted to share that with others. So back in February here in San Antonio, we did the first one. It was kind of a brainy idea I had. I reached out to some other veteran-owned businesses or some, some local businesses that were supportive of, I call them patriot causes. And we all got together. And what turned into my idea, like bringing like three, four people down to the shop, to the, the community makerspace to, to work with them and help them build their own flag, it turned into being 13 vets LEOs, firefighters, paramedics, and uh, nurses. We brought four, uh, 13 or 14 together because uh, we had two married couples uh, that participated as a team. We had volunteers step up to help them out uh, because we had some of them that were amputees. We had some that had um, serious issues that limited their ability to use their hands. But every we had at least a one to two ratio for volunteers to, to workers. Uh, I, I call them workers, I flag builders. So we had a volunteer to help every two builders there. And they made some of the coolest flags. Uh, I did like the unions for them. I made them fancy and I made them custom. Because uh, the week, the two weeks leading up to the build, I got on the phone with them. I talked to them. I found out their story and I found out what they wanted to do with their flag. And then I carved all the unions <laughs> late into the night. I did some of my most elaborate flag unions uh, for this build and I helped them tell their story at the build. When they had that flag done at the end, it was extremely personal to them and it was really cool to see. And it was, it was extremely uh, heavy. It took me a couple of days to even like really talk about it. Like we did the build on Saturday and I couldn't even like go live to talk about it until like Tuesday. Like it was just, I'd started thinking about it and I was like, Oh man, Oh, oh, here comes the feels. Got to stop. Like, can't do it. <laughs> Find something else to do. But it was hugely worth it. And we saw how much uh, benefit that the folks had. I mean, we had some of the builders at the end of the day looking at it. They cried. Their, you know, their volunteer that was helping them cried. I cried. It was lots of tears, lots of like happiness. And it, it was heavy. Yeah. And I decided that there was no way possible that that could be the last time I did that. So now, Granted, pandemic hit shortly after, uh, but we're moving to, I actually found a place that has an eight-car garage attached to it. Go figure, just happened to fall into my lap. It was like made meant to be, and it's in central Pennsylvania, and we're actually going to, at the very least, host uh, one to two builders at the shop, bring them over. They build it all, and they take it with them at the end of the day. But what was great was we had so much support between myself, some other veteran nonprofits that wanted to help provide therapy for these guys that and, and gals 
they actually got to take their tools with them at the end of the day. I mean, we couldn't give everybody a circuit. We couldn't give everybody like a chop saw and things like that, but everything else they needed to do basic woodworking, they got. And so we wanted to give them the knowledge and the tools so that we weren't just giving them a quote retreat for this. We were giving them a doorway to a long-term like therapy. And that was, that was huge. And that's the plan is we'll have that happen every time we do a build that they come, they get their flag, they get the essentials to do what, you know, do some of the sawdust therapy of their own. And, you know, hopefully they'll carry on and it'll do some good for them. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And especially the fact that you provide them, not just the knowledge, but with some of the tools, because, uh, people that, especially when you're dealing with things like mental illness and stuff like that, having a hobby like that can really make a difference. I was someone that grew up painting and stuff like that. And so when I get in my head, having something to kind of just disconnect, even if it's for a moment, is like that moment to breathe when you're going through really tough times. And so it's really awesome that you're doing something that it's not just the moment for them, because a lot of stuff that gets put on, people come out, they have that time together, but then when they leave, it's back to whatever they're struggling with. They might be yeah. by themselves or whatever. So it helps to give someone, uh, you give them the literal tools for their toolbox, but to give someone some <laughs> like the mental tools to kind of have something to cope with when they're going through rough times. So that's a big thing. Yeah, it was awesome. And we had a couple um, veteran like resource groups that were there uh, that were able to make the connections with the individuals. So if they needed help in the future, they knew who to go to. Um, another big thing was that we had a veteran musician there. We had a buddy of mine who's actually a corpsman, uh, Shannon Book, come out. And he not only helped the builders, he played for everybody when we had lunch. We had a professional barbecue team. And when I say professional barbecue team, I mean professional Texas barbecue team. Oh, nice. They were out here. and They they donated their time to to cook. And they cooked a lot, but they took care of everybody. And the idea with all of that, making it a bigger deal than what we ever planned for originally was, like you said, when these people go back, they're alone. Sometimes it's, and it can be a pretty, you know, you can find a pretty dark moment, but when you have like a two foot, almost by three foot piece of art on the wall that is attached to a ton of like good memories some I know some of the people that were at the bills like they still talk they still hang out I still talk to the folks that were there I, I've ended up we've gone fishing with some of the builders from the first build and it's it's something that you build that bond that connection and then you tie that all to something that's really visual and it's hard to miss when you like walk into your house and there's this giant flag right there on the wall you see something even when you know things are getting dark you you might be alone but it at least attaches some really positive memories like, hey, some people still give a damn regardless. And that's just, that's what the whole outcome of the first one was. And I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. <laughs> I hope you do because it sounds like, I mean, you're building a community, basically. You're building a tribe. And that's what a lot of people need when they leave the service is that they're looking for kind of their tribe because you get really used to having people you can depend on when you're in the uniform and then when you go into the civilian world, sometimes it's really lonely and people are just kind of like, okay, shit. Like, I don't know 
where to go. Some people struggle with reaching out, but when you have something like that, that kind of bonds everybody, then at least they know they aren't alone and they got somebody they can call. And like you said, you have a visual representation of a good point in your life that can maybe pull you out of that dark moment you get stuck in. Yeah. And it's, especially right now with everything that's going on, people I think are more isolated than ever. I, I would be really curious to see what the numbers are for um, like deaths by suicide once this whole pandemic blows over because I think every community, both civilian and military, is probably is dealing with a lot right now uh, with people losing jobs, you know, things getting really tight financially for folks. I would be hard pressed to put money on anything besides the fact that those numbers have gone up. And I would imagine that's, so. and if they haven't gone up right now, I feel like when this is, even as we start to come out of this, it's, it's going to be, people are going to need more attention and more assistance than ever uh, because they might be at a low point and they might not recover right away. So it's going to be a, a challenge and a more of a time than ever for people to really truly buddy check each other and just be cognizant of the things that some people might be going through when this is all done. Yeah, I was talking to, it was actually another Navy veteran probably two weeks ago, and he was talking about how he had just started therapy and the whole COVID thing happening put kind of a block on that where he was going and talking to somebody and then they had to go to like telehealth and it, uh, it shook a lot of people up because there's people that have been going through the therapy that now it's on pause and maybe they have enough tools to get through it, but there's people that are fresh in it that haven't figured that out yet. And, uh, and then you have the other side, like people like me, I, I went through a self-isolation period when I left the army because I felt like just shit. Like I couldn't figure out where I fit in. And so when this happened, it was like, oh man, I'm going back into isolation and it took me years to get out of it. So I had that moment of like, okay, like, you know, what if I can't get myself out of this, you know, this time, but then I started telling people, you know what, it kind of feels like a deployment, treat it like a deployment. Uh, you're separated from family, your battle buddy might not be there, but you can call them. We're not completely cut off. It feels like it sometimes, but uh, there are people you can reach out to. There are things we can do, even though, unfortunately, like we want to be able to see people in person and that's getting a little difficult with like social distancing but uh there were a lot of things i noticed that felt a lot like deployment and so i had almost for me put myself back in that mindset so you kind of get into a little bit of a survival mode but you know it's going to end so it's kind of like you're doing the time so you at least kind of even if you can't see like the light at the end of it it's like i know it will end it's temporary who knows? Dates get pushed back on deployment. It's kind of happening with this. Like you just don't know. And like you said, buddy checks are essential right now because even the people that look like they got it together, I mean, we should know that just from our service. Sometimes it's the person that seems the strongest and has their shit together is the person that is struggling the most, but they're just good at hiding it. Yeah. And that's that's why right now the the folks that uh, like you said, the ones that just started treatment, uh, that started actually seeing someone for it, the folks that had just decided that I'm going to go get seen for it and hadn't been able to make contact yet, 
I would say to those people, even if like this, the, the psychiatric counselors, the psychologists, if they aren't available, there are hundreds of organizations out there that have folks to talk to. You don't necessarily need to have a face-to-face encounter. I can honestly say from having talked to people in the past, like gone through treatment myself, sometimes those are harder because you don't have to look at them in the eye while you're telling them, uh, you know, the deep, dark secrets that you don't want to talk about. It Sometimes it's better off that it's somebody that's a complete stranger that you literally don't have to go back and see next Thursday at 2.30, you know, knowing that they're going to look at you like, and you're, you know, they might not think one way or another, but as the person going through the treatment, having them look at you and you sitting there thinking, this person thinks I'm nuts, shit. Like, or I don't want to tell them, you know, how I really feel because I don't know how they're going to feel. Yeah. It, you don't have to see someone in person to reach out and get help. And right now, if you think you need to talk to someone, just do it. Find someone. Even if it's a, a friend or some of the best conversations I've had were guys I've deployed with, but we never got super close on deployment. And at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, well, he was there. He wasn't the guy I was talking to about it in the moment, but that, that dude really helped me out through that moment. Like when, you know, looking back and talking to him, because they're very, very likely to not pass judgment. And they'll probably get a little bit off their chest as well. Uh, you know, misery loves company, but, you know, we all share misery in the field. So that way, when it's all going sideways later on, we know what we're in for and we know we have each other's backs. It doesn't change. Yeah, that actually reminds me of, I don't know if you're a big reader or anything, but there's a book called Tribe on Homecoming and Belonging. And it talks about that shared experience, especially for people that are deployed where like a traumatic thing happens and you're bonded together. So you kind of disperse the trauma amongst each other. So it makes it a little easier to deal with. And for a situation like this, we're all dealing with something similar how we're dealing with it is what varies but if you kind of like share the experience with each other even if it's through like what we're doing on zoom like i can still see you so it's we're connecting you know but it's like you know i haven't seen like real life people for a while but it's something you can do where you kind of share the experience where it breaks up a little bit of that traumatic feeling because like you said a lot of people are feeling this for the first time this level of isolation and yeah. so it's a matter of not trying to carry the full weight of what the hell's happening, if anyone even knows really what is happening on yeah. your own, <laughs> on your shoulders by yourself. And there are people you can call, there's tons of organizations, like you said, that you can reach out to. I'm always telling people, if I'm not someone that you think you could talk to, if you come on my page, go look at who I'm following or who's following me, because chances are there's a lot of veteran orgs on there. So it's like, well, I don't want to talk to her, but you know, there's these people like just kind of filter yourself into other spaces. Like there's just so much out there, even if it's not the VA, like there's plenty of people that will listen to you. Absolutely. And that's one of those things that I have, you know, organizations. One of the first things I did, ironically enough, I have a website and my wife and I had argued about whether a website was worth investing in and putting the time and effort into and then all of a sudden COVID hit and I, you know, people are actually on the internet again, like actually checking stuff out when I thought for sure, like the best way to talk to people and 
get my stuff out there was either word of mouth or going to big events, which are all canceled now, but go to big events and meet people firsthand. And the website's been huge for me. But the first thing I did when I got on there was the veteran orgs that I worked with personally, VOW22, OP Veteran, which is a central Texas-based um, group that even have like a support group of like 3,500 people that I've seen them like jump out of their skin to help somebody get a job that just lost it out of nowhere, things like that. Um, some other ones like the Reforged Foundation, different folks that do amazing things for people, um, some different hunting organizations, uh, both in my home state in Pennsylvania, here in Texas, uh, the guys, you know, the, that the wilderness therapy type stuff. Yeah. As soon as I had my website up and running, like the first day it, before it even went live, I had their links and everything loaded to my webpage because it's not just about building shit for me. It's about trying to make a difference. And if I can do that in any way possible, even if it's like, hey, hey, you guys have a website, I'm going to link to it so people can see it. It's something. And I'm, I was really excited that people started viewing my page more, even if it wasn't to buy stuff, didn't care. I knew what I put on there and I knew that they would see my stuff and they would see them as well. So yeah. I'm, this is that time now more than ever where people just need to reach out to those orgs. Cause this is, this is their bread and butter. This is what they do. And they can't do massive events right now. No one can. So they're falling back to their roots and they're reaching out. They're talking to people. They're setting up phone lines left and right. I think they just pushed for the ticket. They just started the bill for the national like suicide prevention hotline type of thing. And not just a, a long 800 number. They started like a 911 for suicide awareness uh, prevention. They, they started pushing for that bill and, what better time for sure yeah we've been working on that with our website of trying to get the links put up to other veteran orgs because we're the same we're just kind of like you know we like what we do we like getting noticed but that's not what we started the whole thing for like when i kicked off cruise corner the idea was i'm going to build a space that people can hopefully come to and feel comfortable. And if they don't feel comfort here, I'm going to figure out where else they can go and just create like, just kind of a roadmap for them. And it's just like, there's so much stuff out there and a lot of people don't realize it. And so they just think, okay, I'm by myself. Nobody cares. And then they do whatever they're going to do. And that's not the case. A lot of people give a shit. I've lost a lot of people to suicide. And that's why I take what I do serious and why I feel like everyone needs to tell their story uh, regardless of where you served, what you did, who you were, like, you can learn something from everybody. So the big oh, thing is absolutely. connecting. And yeah, that, that was one of the things that I learned early on, like not to take for granted. You don't have to like meet up with a person that has the most combat tours out there. You, you can meet up with people that can make an impact on you that their biggest fights might have been before they ever set foot in uniform. Like some of the things that friends of mine have overcome just to, just to get to the point where they could, like they were old enough to enlist. It makes you just really like put things into perspective. Like, damn. Okay. We can get through this. Like we all can. And that's, it's huge. Like that's a big thing to be open to learning from anyone and be open to, you know, 
if you, the more people you learn about with their background and get to know people, the more you will get a, a broader perspective than for, than in any other way. You can read books left and right, but a book, you're going to get 800 pages of one person's point of view you know, in that same 12 hours, it takes to read one. You can have 30 conversations with people and really get a broader picture of what other people are going through. They might be going through what you are. You might learn what got them through it and you might be able to use that. It's the talking to people, whether it's on a phone call, whether it's on a zoom meeting, which this I think might be my actual first one, uh, or being, uh, you know, in person with someone, there is so much value in interacting with someone else, even if you just met them. For sure. Yeah, I know when I kicked off the podcast, there was this idea where I was going to just share my stuff and then people started saying, you know, you got to get people to start interviewing on there. And one of the things I found when I started asking people like, hey, you know, if the podcast was open to you, would you come on? And they were like, well, I don't have a story to share. And it's like, well, you've lived life, haven't you? Like, you know, what do you mean you don't have anything to share? Like, you had an experience in the military. You've had an experience out of the military. And, and that was why I felt like I was one of those people because I didn't have a cool army experience. I mean, I deployed to a combat zone. I didn't do anything cool there. And I didn't have, like, what Hollywood says the, the soldier story should be. So it was kind of like... <laughs> uh you know, I know a lot of people looked at me when I came out and it's like, what, what the hell does she know? Like coming from anything. But the idea was, was that I had trauma after the military and I started talking about PTSD and people are like, well, you can't because I didn't see anything happen to you in that. And so I started thinking like, well, if that's what people think, I need to start getting more stories out here. So people don't get this idea that PTSD is the combat disorder and uh, and this idea that, you know, you can be whatever MOS or whatever job and still have a story for how to deal with trauma or something like that. Because for some people like me, military was only a small fraction of my life. Almost 32. I was in for six years. I've had a lot of shit happen outside of the military. And so it's still stuff that people can benefit from hearing whether it happened in the military or not. And so I'm always trying to get people to just talk because talking can do wonders, even if it's not really something that fits the mold for other people. It's not like the combat veteran story. It's like, who cares? Just tell, like, just talk, just connect, just learn to speak to people. I mean, that's what you do in therapy. I mean, it's like, why can't we do that for each other? I mean, we all talk about the VA failing. So it's kind of like if we learn to talk to each other, maybe we wouldn't have to always rely on that type of therapy. But Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of power in words, and that's what some people don't realize. And, I mean, I've deployed a lot. I can't say I've done a whole lot of cool stuff. Some people would say it is. Some people would be like, oh, it's stupid. Whatever. Uh, but if my life was a movie, I mean, it would never be a movie. It wouldn't be cool enough. It'd make a hell of a Jerry Springer show, though. <laughs> but uh, and that was leading up to the Navy. And then I got in. I f- forgot what color, you know, camis the Navy was supposed to wear and spent most of my career wearing Marpat. And I loved it. But then decided it was time to move on. And it's some people have a – everybody has a different story. 
like I said, it's and as crazy as it is, that that's where I that's why I've made so many wild things, I think, with Liberty Bell, because I started talking to people and then people saw that I could do some cool shit and they were like, Hey, I, you know, I had this happen or I was a part of X, Y, and Z. I want something to show that. I was like, well, hell yeah, let's, let's do it. And I started making really personal pieces and that's why customs stuck in the name. It was supposed to be, I think I started as Liberty Bell designs and that just didn't sound right. But Liberty Vault Customs happened and I started making really cool stuff that was really personal for people. I, you know, being a part of retirements, like that's a, when somebody asks you to make their shadow box and especially when they like literally like basically dump that their memory box or that love me box, like on your kitchen table, which I mean, let's face it, I started working at a home. I'd meet up with people. We, we converse over a beer, like at my kitchen table, trying to figure out what we're, what we're going to do. And they just dumped that love me box out. I'm like, oh man, we got a story to tell here. Like, I've had people with five different colors of uniforms. And I'm not just talking about like five different types of uniforms. I'm talking their camis were five different colors through their career because they spent like 28 years in the military. I was sitting here going, holy shit, how do you do that? Right. <laughs> I got the 12 and I'm like, uh, deuces, I'm out. Shit, but you mean further realized. <laughs> Uh, I think every at the end of every one of my contracts, I sit, sat there and really, really considered getting out, and I just kept signing up again. And I finally got to the point where I was like, I, I don't think I can do this again. Not, not going to do it one more time. We're gonna, we're gonna steer left and just figure some stuff out. But sitting there and talking to these people about their twenty-eight, you know, twenty-four, twenty-six, twenty-eight years in the service, it's like, damn, you've been a lot of places. So let's figure out a ways, ways to show that. And it's, that's, like I said, talking to people has been huge because it's gotten me out of my shell. Like I'm always been kind of an outgoing person, but I never, tr I had lots and lots of small talk, but I never had conversations. If that makes any sense at all. Like you, you can talk to people, but having conversations with them is a whole nother story. Yeah. So that was the biggest thing is starting to talk to people and really have conversations with people. It, it brought me out of my shell in the sense that like I got to know people and that when things went wrong, I knew I had people I could reach out to because I didn't like going to the docks, like the actual, like the, the wizards. I didn't like it. I did the meds thing for a while. I couldn't stand it. it I didn't like how it made me feel the person it made me. and meeting people, talking to people and just doing the sawdust therapy, it, it changed who I was, not in a sense that it made me a different person. It took me from being like this, the shell of a person and it actually made me myself and it let me do that. And that was awesome. That was cool. Where I actually learned how to talk to people because I was I could always do the small talk but I was more of a person that was reserved and I saved a lot of my thoughts for like journals and writing and just kind of putting it out there not the people and it was when I deployed to Afghanistan and I started getting locked in a guard box for eight hours a day with somebody that's where I learned how to figure out how to talk a little bit more in depth because I mean it's eight hours with a, the same person <laughs> so 
It's like, you better yeah. learn how to talk about something. And it carried over. I started learning, like I got closer to people and I learned it was okay to open up to people and that some people actually give a shit to know what's going on inside your head. And that was my biggest thing was thinking that people only want small talk. And then I realized, oh, a lot of people are open for conversation. So it kind of got me out of that shell a little bit in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> Eight hours on a guard post will definitely do that. And I've been the corpsman. I, I usually wasn't the guy on duty. I mean, I spent a couple, did a couple rotations where I was, but I had, I had the, I guess you'd say privilege, but every single night, every single shift that my Marines were out on post, I, I'd either roll with like the watch commander or, one of the, the sergeants of the guard, the SOGs, like I'd roll out with them and we would check on all the guys and we'd sit there and either we'd talk for a little bit while we're there on the post, or I would just have, you know, them just leave me and come get me later. And you really got to know people and you really learned what makes people tick. And it's, it helps you figure that stuff out because at the same time, you're talking to somebody for two and a half hours it's not going to be a one-way conversation. It's going to be, you know, if they say something to you, it's going to be reciprocated and vice versa. And that's, that's really powerful because you figure out that you have someone at the end of it all that understands you and they, they, they know what makes you tick as well. And that's, it's been big lately because I made a mistake and this is a total mistake, but I posted something like, you, you get frustrated with some projects when they just don't turn out right, or you screw something up like at zero hour and you have to redo everything. You get really frustrated. I accidentally posted something on Facebook and my phone blew the hell up. And that was what made me realize that through all of this, I had built that network of people that gave a shit because I had people like calling me, calling, calling, like pick up the phone, fucker. Like, they would not take no, like not no answer for an answer. And that knowing that I would be the same one to do that to them, that's where you start to realize that talking to people and just being open with people about, you know, what experience you have, what some, even minor feelings you have about it, being open with them lets you go and develop that connection so that when shit hits the fan because it will it's gonna happen and yeah. you have those folks that you can reach out to and hell you might not reach out to them they'll find you they'll figure out when something's not right or if you don't you know go online in a couple of days and post some random stuff even if it's not like more real shit if they just don't see you they'll they'll seek you out and find you and be like hey you good even that like that trigger in the dark if you might need that and you might think that like, man, no one's checking on me. Reach out to somebody and just ping them. Just be like, hey, man, you good? And it's going to end up therapeutic both ways. You're going to talk to them. They'll feel better because you talk to them. You'll feel better because you talk to them. Because like I said, every conversation goes two ways. If you're talking yeah. to someone, they're going to reciprocate. They're going to talk back to you. Like, hey, man, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. X, Y, and Z is going on. They're going to ask you the same question. And then if you got some shit going on, you can let, you can let them know. And the conversation's already started. Sometimes so that, that step's tough, it's crazy. Though. 
Sometimes the step to be the one to send the first message is where people are like, uh, <laughs> like, I don't know if I can hit send. And that's, that's why I think that even if, even if you think that that first step is really hard to, to send yourself, like to, to reach out, to ask for help, reach out to someone and see how they're doing. Because it's going to start a conversation. It's going to help you out. It's going to break the ice so that you can have the conversation that you want to have. It's not like, you know, reaching out to get something in return. It's have a conversation that you, if you don't want to start a conversation about you, start a conversation, see where it goes. Yeah. It's just like a wave, just kind of ride it and see where it ends up. Well, before we forget, cause we got about 15 minutes. I want to make sure you have time to talk about the fur missile fundraiser. <laughs> yeah. The, so the fur missile fundraiser is like my other little pet project, I guess you could say. Um, I've teamed up with a couple um, canine organizations and the whole idea of it is my dad was a cop. So my background before the Navy was a firefighter and EMT. I've been, you know, corpsman for 12 years. I've worked with a lot of MPs. I got to know those guys really well. I've gotten, you know, to, to do a lot of training with them. Uh, a lot of my friends uh, are, are cops. Most of my Marines that I worked with and a bunch of them that I deployed with, they became cops. Go figure as if anything else could be more stereotyped for them. You know, <laughs> oh, man, Marine Corps grunts. What are you going to do? I'm going to go be a cop. Like even yeah. one of my old junior corpsmen, he's, he's a cop in Utah now and he's doing really well. So, I, you know, the whole thin blue line thing, they've always had kind of had a, uh, I've always had a soft spot for it. Seeing my dad, you know, who was the chief of police of like this tiny town and that was him. That was his thing. And I, all the stories of like takedowns and stuff that I grew up with had a lot of respect for him. And he was determined to be a canine officer and it just never happened. Like he bred his own Doberman to try and be a canine cop <laughs> and it just didn't work out. But I, I reached out, you know, I wanted to, you know, help them in a way that I could. And I figured out one of the best ways to do it was to help uh, the folks in the canine community, which I got to say, it's, it's a really tight knit community it's awesome to, to see how those folks take care of each other. And I started offering up pieces just completely where all of the profit from them goes towards um, helping to vest canine officers um, to give them the ballistic vest that they need because only a couple states in the entire country actually have uh, laws that protect the canines as if it was an officer. I'm a dog person. My golden retriever is sitting right in front of me. She's not a working dog. She's a non-working dog. She's lazy as hell. But I'm a huge dog person, and I feel like those, those working dogs, they should get that same kind of you know, protection, whether it just be by law or by physical like gear. Absolutely. You, wouldn't send a, you wouldn't send a cop in without their vest. Why would you send the dog? Because that yeah. dog is going to jump through the window to get into the car. They're not going to wait for them to come out of the car. So it was one of the things that we decided to do. And we worked with uh, United Canines and uh, uh, the Capital Canine Association for uh, the capital, the capital area up in DC. And it's, it's been hugely rewarding so far. We've helped to get two dogs vested. Uh, the second dog we did, we actually were able to raise the funds in about 36 hours. That's amazing. 
and I mean, these vests are a uh, little over a thousand dollars a piece for these dogs yeah. because they actually get fitted for the dog. That's awesome. And getting that done and making sure that they were safe is really cool. And I've met some really awesome people through, through that. Cause like I said, that whole community, they look out for each other, like none other. And it's really cool to at least be a part of it by helping them. Yeah. That sounds really cool what you're doing. And then I noticed that uh, when I was checking out your site, I saw you had the snag a flag, send a flag for the COVID-19 hero tribute. Are you still doing that? Yep. Uh, I'm probably going to keep doing that until this whole pandemic ends. Uh, just something I decided to do. Uh, I've seen a lot of big companies do stuff where like, oh, you know, you buy something, we donate something, and then they pick groups, they pick, you know, individuals. They have like this crazy, whatever their system is for picking those folks, like that's what they use. I like, just like any other piece that I do, I, I'm more personable. I, I'm more personal, I should say. And so whenever I sell a flag or a gun case or anything, I'm sending a tribute flag to someone that's working on the front lines. Uh, and I've got like six different versions. I've got ones for truckers, nurses, um, LEOs, firefighters, EMS, you name it, even dispatchers, you know, the thin line type stuff to support them or just to show them that people care. And it's actually who gets it is picked by the buyer of the first flag. And it's, the only thing I, I cover or the only thing that I, I take any funds for is just to cover shipping to get to them. Uh, that way they can be anywhere in the country because I already shipped from, I've shipped to Alaska already and anyone, anywhere, because we're all in this shit together. Right. Uh, they, can, <laughs> they can get that little piece like just to say thank you. So yeah, the snag a flag, send a flag thing um, was just something I started a while back and we've already sent, uh, sent four out, uh, four tribute flags and they get the those flags on my site for about one hundred and twenty dollars. So the ones that I usually, you know, the ones I'm sending out, that's what they would be to to purchase. So I'm just sending them out as a thank you for the people that are are dealing with all this, all those essential folks. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool that you're doing that. And then on the COVID nineteen kind of theme, I know you're part of. Four best LLCs. You're one of the sponsors for the COVID distraction giveaway. Yep. So the COVID distraction uh, giveaway is just our little way of doing something fun on Instagram. I'm still pretty new to it. Like Liberty Bell concealed like 500 followers, which I thought that was like a giant milestone for me. Uh, but we just wanted to get something away just to get people's minds off of it. And I teamed up with some really, really cool. Oh, he he uh he has a really good, really cool business like working with firearms instruction, kayak holsters, and that. Fifty one Bravo. Him and I actually made it made it a deal where I was going to make him a shop sign, and he's making me my own custom knife so I could take with me to my next adventure. Uh, but they they all do amazing work, and I decided you know what, I'm gonna throw in too. So we actually, I'm donating a uh, an American Gladiator. Uh, the American Spartan, I should say, uh, uh, actual like custom cut, carved out and hand stained and torched uh, Spartan helmet or should, the gladiator helmet uh, carved out like the American flag. And uh, that's just one of the really cool gifts that the, the, whoever wins that thing is going to get. Looking that's awesome. forward to uh, finally announcing who wins that. It, it's it's kind of exciting. They get some grim survival through and some cool uh, survival cards. Uh, 
51 Bravo is actually putting in a full-blown custom knife that he hand-forged, and that dude's been on forging fire. Uh, that's always cool. So then they're going to get one of my hand torch, which, I, I mean, I play with flamethrowers and wood daily. It's pretty cool to make. And then seeing it actually turn into something really cool, just hang on the wall, it's a lot of fun. So I had a lot of fun making the – that was it's actually the first one I made, uh, first of the American Gladiators I made, and it looks cool. I'm looking forward to giving it away. Yeah, I've had the chance to talk with you, Four Best, and 51 Bravo, and I know everyone's really excited about it, but I had to talk about Four Best about maybe dropping his number because I think he's around maybe a little under halfway there. And uh, it was just like, maybe we should look at <laughs> maybe something a little bit closer because you could be looking at a pretty long giveaway. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, all, we're all looking at numbers, and we're kind of keeping track. And nothing's off the table i mean i'm down for whatever i give random shit away all the time just because i feel like it <laughs> uh, it's fun like it's built into my business model that i'm gonna give stuff away just especially the stuff that i decide to make for myself or not for myself i make for the fact that i want to make stuff knowing damn well that if i put more flags on my walls my wife's gonna get really upset she thinks i have like one decorating style <laughs> and I finally surprised her and I made the new uh the patch panels which kind of housed my collection of patches from you know different units different deployments and now they're live on my website I have the first uh the prototype set is on my wall and the first thing my wife looked at me and looked at it and said well at least it's not a flag <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was checking those out uh because I just stick patches and stuff in frames and they fall. And if there's Velcro, they like the pins don't necessarily go in. Like everything is just, my stuff is all just a clusterfuck. <laughs> like, I just yeah, stuff no, in. it really is. And that's where mine was too. And I had the problem with, I had a bunch of Velcro patches. I had my old rank patches, things like that. I mean, the Navy, 12 years in the Navy, I've been through like seven different uniforms add the like four that I had when I was with the Marines like you've got patches and shit all over the place and the velcro ones would like rip the stitching out of the ones that weren't velcro what if you put them in a bag shit was getting poked through with like pens and tacks it was nuts so I was like I'm gonna figure out a way to put all this in one place where my wife's not gonna yell at me for putting it there and like I said a lot of it some of it had pins some of it had velcro so I made something that could actually use all of it, like pins. I could put pictures up there, which I did. I think one of the first things I found on my, for my firefighter tag, uh, for my firefighter, uh, the red line panel, was my old locker tag from before the Navy. Uh, it's even got 2006 written on it, which is crazy to me to, that I still had that thing. But putting it all up and showing it off. And uh, my friend with side-by-side uh, -side text and photography came out. And we went down to an old barn in South Texas where my friends run a custom leather shop, uh, Spartan custom leather. They let us just have free reign of the place. And it's like the ultimate man cave shoot. Like <laughs> it doesn't get any more rustic and cool looking than the pictures came out. So I was super excited to launch them. They, uh, they started off just like fabric wrapped boards. And then they took on a whole life of their own after that they didn't look like something I would make right away. So then I'm like, let's torch some wood, let's stain it, and then let's put a frame on it. 
So naturally, I had to hit something with fire for it to be <laughs> a Liberty Bell piece because I don't think there's a thing that leaves besides maybe a couple of shadow boxes that are classy. Not much leaves my shop without being hit with fire. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much a given. Like I've had my wife look at me and like, don't you think that's too much fire? And the answer is usually no. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it it had to get a personal touch, so I'm pretty stoked to have them in the house and for sale. Uh, they just actually, ironically enough, launched last night uh, officially on the website and everything. So it was really cool to get them up there. And, and if they flop, I had a hell of a good time like making them and getting the photos taken of them. I don't think though. I think they're actually a really good design. I was checking them out, so I, I think you'll do well with those. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. Either way, I had a hell of a time making them, so it worked out. If people wanted to check those out for themselves, I know you got Instagram and I think Facebook, and you got a website. Yep. Yeah, so I've actually been trying to figure out how to operate social media. It, it's been a learning curve because I wasn't really big on it for a long time. But uh, on Instagram, we're at Liberty Bell Concealed, uh, and yeah, pretty simple spelling. Uh, Liberty Bell Concealed on Facebook is facebook.com slash Liberty Bell Customs and then libertybellcustoms.com uh, made it as easy as I could. Somebody already taking Liberty Bell Customs on Instagram. I was pretty pissed about that, but uh, they don't do flags. They don't do any work. So I at least uh, I focus on the fact that a lot of the stuff I make hides guns because it's just, it's fun. Yeah. Why not? I get to play with like electronic locks and com hidden compartments and stuff. And that's just, you know, I like hide my guns and cool looking stuff. So why not? And uh, it's it stuck. So it's been fun. So before we uh, get off of here, I had someone send in a question for you on the Q and a stuff we were putting up and sure. Patriot Patriotic Expression wants to know if you could join any past or current music group, which one would you join? Well, shit. Any past <laughs> or current music group, I could join them. Uh, I would say a 70s, one of the 70s rock bands, but I don't know if I could do that much drugs and not die. <laughs> um, I, I would honestly say god damn that's a tough one um a music group that would be fun to tour with uh that'd just be fun to be around actually so there's a little known band uh a group called moonshine bandits and those guys just look like they have a a, a damn party like wherever they go and like there's nobody knows about them uh it took my wife that it's like to see them play for like our first like concert date whatever it was like a standing room only like mini theater and it was they had such a just a good time just doing their thing i would totally be a part of that like that that would probably be it moonshine bandits and uh <laughs> almost nobody listening is going to know who they are so their google like their google hits are going to spike from this <laughs> but it's uh that'd probably be it just because they're not a super big label, so they don't have all that like corporate stuff to deal with. They just have a blast when they go out on stage. So that would be the life. Awesome. 
Well, Dustin, I want to say thanks for coming on here and spending about an hour of your time with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It was fun. It was good. It's a good way to break the uh, break the monotony of this isolation stuff. All right. Yeah, it definitely helps. <laughs> All right. All right. You have a good one. <laughs> you too. Take care. All right, bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more episodes from Cruise Corner, make sure to subscribe. You can listen to episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or check us out on our very own CruiseCast located on the Cruise Corner website at www.cruisecorner.com. If you would like to be featured on a future episode, please contact us on our website or send us a DM on Instagram.